Throughout this episode, you'll hear occasional dynamically placed advertisements as well as host-read ads by me promoting the work of my sponsors, similar to what you'd experience when you're binging your favorite YouTube content. If you find the ads disruptive, consider joining my community on Patreon. Premium submarines receive full-length ad-free episodes, hundreds of hours of bonus content, and the ability to connect and chat with other listeners. To learn more, visit patreon.com slash backfromtheborderline. This previously recorded episode of Back from the Borderline may contain mentions of social links or initiatives I took part in that are no longer active or relevant. To follow the podcast on Instagram, connect with me directly, or support the work I'm doing, visit backfromtheborderline.com. You have entered Back from the Borderline, where we walk willingly into the darkness within our minds and return home to ourselves transformed. I'm your host, Molly. I spent most of my life numbing the pain and emptiness inside me, unaware that my self-sabotaging behaviors and thoughts were destroying my ability to connect with myself and other people. One day, I decided I was sick enough of my own bullshit to hear life calling, telling me it was time for a change, and I decided to answer that call. On this podcast, we'll learn that when we see ourselves as the hero of our own journey, it gives us the best chance at finding our inner truth and integrity. Together, We'll learn to hold complex feelings, expand our consciousness and self-awareness while making meaning of our suffering. Are you ready to find out who you are underneath the weight of everything that's been keeping you stuck? If the answer is yes, follow me down the rabbit hole of psychological and spiritual growth. I'm so glad you're here. And with that, let's dive straight in to the episode. Hello, 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 everyone. Welcome back to Back from the Borderline. Today, you're going to be hearing part two of my conversation with Melanie Goldman. We talked for almost three hours, so what you're hearing now is the second half of the talk that we had on the last episode. We covered so many different topics. There's lots of good information, something I realized that I haven't been as good at reminding you all of In the description of each episode, I fill it with a bunch of relevant links and resources that are mentioned in each episode. So if you haven't yet, go click in the descriptions of each of the podcast episodes and you'll find links to the books that we mentioned, links to the other studies and resources. So make sure you're not missing out on all of that information that's available there for you. So the back half of my conversation with Melanie, we talked about a ton of stuff. Today, you're going to be hearing us talk about the desperation of wanting to get a diagnosis of BPD, toxic subreddits on uh, Reddit regarding borderline people and their loved ones, the importance of critical thinking skills, BPD morning routines, inner child work, taking breaks from social media, and how social media impacts borderline personality disorders. We talk about sex as self-harm and sex work while we're trying to recover with BPD. And lastly, we really dig into how the loved ones of people with borderline personality disorder can help us and also hinder us in our recovery So if that sounds interesting to you, keep listening till the very end because I know you're going to learn a ton from the second half of mine and Melanie's conversation. So you're aware of where we left off. We were discussing Marsha Linehan's book, Building a Life Worth Living, a memoir that she released in the last couple of years. And I had asked Melanie why she thought Marsha Linehan took so long to come out and say that she had struggled with BPD in the past. This was something that she avoided coming out and labeling herself as. So without further ado, we'll just jump straight back in at that point of the conversation. Even in this book, like I have passages where she literally writes and she let it out this memoir is not old this is two years old Mm -hmm. 
that's all her old letters to her doctor, dear Dr. Brian. She yep. the reason I'm happy. I'm overweight. I'm ugly. She's literally reading her old letters like, dear Dr. Brian, I'm suicidal. Why can't I get myself out of this body? Mm-hmm. Like, I don't descent from hell. They put me in this room. So I think I agree to the extent that she doesn't necessarily believe in the, you know, per se label, but she does believe in allowing one to talk about it. You know, she doesn't necessarily say, okay, I'm Marsha, I PPD, end of the day, let's wrap it up. But she's, I'm Marsha, I am, I've got these feelings, but she does believe in the work to combat, like I'm saying, I am not my issue. I have these issues. I'm Melanie. I have BPD, but I am not my BPD. And I think that a lot of people are so set on wanting a diagnosis for some reason. You know, I get a lot of messages from people that are saying, I'm really trying to get into a DBT program. I'm really trying to get into a psychiatrist. So I don't have a formal diagnosis yet, but I, and and there's this urgency to get some type of diagnosis and I get what I understand what they're trying to do because I used to live in that space where I thought if only I know what's wrong with me, quote unquote, if I can find out what's wrong with me, then something will be better. But if you really think about that, that is such silly logic. And that's the message that I've tried to respond to my people on my page. When someone sends me a message like that, I try to send them a message back that says something to the effect of, will getting a diagnosis change much? What will getting a diagnosis change? If you can read the criteria of BPD yourself and you say, I meet four of the nine criteria, that means that you can't be formally diagnosed, but the DSM is providing you four things that you can probably work on and unravel and uncover so that you can start building a life worth living, as Marshall Linehan said. We shouldn't be working towards getting a diagnosis as that's some type of finish line because it's not. That's the ding dong, what you said. And I love this word ding dong right now, but it's- I love it too. I'm going to start saying ding dong now. That's great. We shouldn't be working on the rush. We're always in a rush. I always say like, what's this person behind me in my car rushing for? Why are we rushing when we're walking? Like I said, there's no cure. There's no recovered. What is, is lessening, finding out, because look, it is a life, it, it's building, it's patience, it's finding the right strategies, finding what works for you. However, what if you find out that you don't even have it? What if you find out, oh, you have mild depression or MDD or whatever it is? And I'm not saying that you don't have BPD for the people listening. The point is, take it slowly, take it patiently, take it compassionately, go with it. Don't rush to Google and look up every single thing and freak yourself out because, and ask every, I'm in a lot of Facebook forums and support groups and stuff. And the questions that come in, people get really, really frantic and hectic in group chats. And the issue is I'm like, I accentuated, I'm not a mental health professional. So am I going to give you the 10 steps of this and the 10 steps of no, wait, Book your appointment, but don't go to google.com before your appointment happens. Why don't you take a deep breath? It's so true. We do try to Google everything. And with BPD, I feel like it bleeds into our identity issues where we so badly want a diagnosis and we so badly want someone to tell us what's wrong with us that when we start Googling, for me, when you start Googling BPD, you find yourself on subreddits like BPD loved ones, which is- toxic by the way, because, and by the way, I got banned from that subreddit because I innocently posted something. Like I posted one of my podcast episodes because I said, this could be really helpful for those of you that have loved ones with BPD. Immediately I was banned from that subreddit because they said borderlines are not allowed to post on our subreddit. I was immediately banned as being toxic just because I had borderline personality disorder. And I posted that first YouTube video I made, which is A, the most like unharmful, like 
really understanding view because guess what? There's only a place on that subreddit for a bunch of toxic bullshit of people saying, my borderline X is the, is the reason my life sucks. And guess what? If you, it's so easy yeah. for people with BPD to find themselves in these horrible spots. And if you spend too much time on those types of places, you will walk out thinking, I'm a fucked up person. I have validated now that something is deep down wrong with me and it's called BPD. I am a BPD nightmare. Well, it's, it's the rabbit hole. And that rabbit hole is really unsafe because, for example, 10 years ago when I was diagnosed, they give you pamphlets, they give you Google, they say, find your therapist. If you're not careful and you don't just look up what they give you, you're in this rabbit hole. So my suggestion to people is always, please, please, please stick to the manual first. Because if you're not at the degree of where I'm suggesting, remember the degree in the functioning yet? Mm-hmm. You're, we are reactionary individuals. This is something that we can't deny. I'm sorry. It's part of our brain functioning. So if we aren't careful, especially when we're first diagnosed, and I don't even know yet, like if I'm even quite there yet, if I look up something on a day where I'm vulnerable, oh, bye-bye day. So you have to be cognizant of the fact that these things are very, very subjective to your mood changing. Yes. Right away. And filter what you're reading through various perspectives. I would Google something and say something about BPD. I would read the first response I got and take that as gospel truth. What I do now is I read something and I'm going, A, what does the ment- what do I think the mental state of this person was when they wrote this? If it's a Reddit thread, for example, if it's an article, does this person have BPD? Who might they be being paid for ba- paid by to write this article? What is their incentive in this article? Is it just to get 800 words on psychologytoday.com so that they can just post something and get SEO for BPD? Like we need to be thinking about these things. Think about what you're ingesting and go, okay, what kernels of truth can I pick from these little things and filter it through my own perspective and my own life? But we don't often do that. No, that's something, once again, the google.com rabbit hole, like it just doesn't really happen. It's like when you go to Wikipedia, are you really like, you have to be very careful. We don't use that in school. We don't go, oh yeah, wikipedia.com. That's my reference. Like you have to be understanding of your lens. Like what lens are you looking? Who is writing it? How are you reading it? Where are you at? Like, And the irony of that is Wikipedia is probably a more reputable source than a lot of the sources that we're going to. Yeah, because Wikipedia actually takes away all of the emotion out of things. I heard that if you are someone who's very reactionary towards news, something that I've, a life hack that I've implemented, I don't look at Google News, um, any type of news app anymore, CNN, nothing. I look at Wikipedia news and I read this from Mark Manson, who's the author of, um, God damn it. What's the book he wrote? Uh, the subtle art of not giving a fuck. Right. I, I subscribe to his newsletter and I just think he's great. I love him. And he said, one of the best life hacks that you can do is start reading Wikipedia's news roundups. Every day there's a page that you can go to on Wikipedia and I'll have to find it. I'll hyperlink it into the show notes, but it's just news of the day and you can do US news, world news. And he's like, if you can get through that, if you really want to know what the fuck's going on in the world, do that. He's like, it's the most boring articles. They are not, they are not swayed by political party, any type of agenda. Because if you go to CNN, if you see even the state of the world today with the pandemic, they are thriving off of fear and big headlines. People are just – negativity and fear gets clicks, and people know this. So when you're looking up stuff about your PPD, is someone using fear or manipulation to write this article? Because chances are it's not that deep. You know? It's it's not that fucking serious. <laughs> around to watching the social like uh dilemma the other day and I was just like whoa with the manipulation theory and the manipulation that goes behind the apps mm-hmm. and I can get into these rabbit holes but I'm aware of my own rabbit holes and the 
where I'm looking and how much I'm looking and why it keeps bringing me back to certain pages and certain things. Yep. But that's not even the worst part. The worst part is exactly that. Where our mind goes, the negative channels, the negative pages, we need to be aware and step back and be like, okay, how much time have I spent? Did an hour just pass by? Who am I looking at? Do I even want to look at that? Like that's affecting my energy. Also, have you spent the last three hours just looking at stuff and not gotten a drink of water, not gone up and taken a walk today, not gotten a snack, you know, because we often find ourselves in these rabbit holes and then we neglect to meet our basic needs. And then we wonder why we stay stuck. I read something the other day that's like the best exercise routine that you can have is one you stick to literally doing anything. So if you just walk 15 minutes a day and if you can stick to that, that's actually a really good exercise routine. We often think that we need to do something big to make a difference, but in reality, it's like you stated at the very beginning of the podcast, it's picking a few things that make you feel good. So say for instance, you are It's me. What makes me feel good is every morning I really like drawing a tarot card, doing a little bit of journaling. I, I, yep, I have to go on a walk. I notice the days that if I don't go on a walk, I don't, I don't sleep as well. I don't feel as good. So it's like I have my coffee. I wake up, I do a tarot card, I go on a walk, and then my day is set up. And I never now don't have a day at the end of the day where I'm like, wow, the only days I don't feel like we're a success are the ones that I didn't just do my basic me things. Um, What are your recovery hack? Like what's a morning routine in the life of Mel? So like I was saying, I'm so excited to move because I'm switching up my routine and the things that I'm looking forward to Um, and that's what I've been discussing a lot with my fiance, because during school, I was noticing I was not. And like you said, if you don't do those things, you're completely not aligned. And like, for me, I need to listen to motivational speakers of Mm -hmm. some sort and like of some sort, whether it's someone I love spiritually, whether it's someone talking, I used to meditate a ton. Um, I did it the other day, um, and going back into that religiously in the sense where even if it's five to 10 minutes, it doesn't even necessarily need to be right in the morning. Um, but sometimes to reset myself because I even noticed the breathing of it. Um, cause I, I need to constantly remember how to breathe because for me, I'm a very fast, everything. I do everything very fast. Even the way I talk, like I'm noticing even in this podcast, my voice will talk really fast. It was always a thing for me as a, as a growing up, like, like I talk so fast. La, 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 la. So me too. I sing, I mumble because I, I sing fast. So taking breaths, sometimes I hiccup out of nowhere. And Steve's like, my fiance is like, you're hiccuping because you're not breathing properly. So meditating to just breathe. And even if I am thinking a lot, cause people, you know, you said, Meditating can be stressful because we're thinking about a lot. If I'm thinking throughout the whole meditation, fine. If all I'm doing is concentrating on just breathing. Yes. And then breathing more on the down because it's actually just to calm my whole and ground myself. So those two, a walk is great. It doesn't have to happen in the morning. Um, Journaling. I used to journal a shit ton. Just what I am. Happy for I'm creating that audio tape. Yeah, I told you that I think is going to be the key to me getting out of like starting. That's what I'm going to start with. Kim, I don't know if you listened to my interview with her. That's what you need to catch up with. Yeah, she's and great so- and yeah. she's just incredible. You should listen to her YouTube channel. She's pretty amazing. She live streams herself playing Sims while she talks about BPD. It is. Oh, that's- so cool. So she records voice notes to herself quite often. So when she's processing something, she's like, I just pull up my voice notes and I just talk to myself. And I put in my last post, I recommend that one of the ways that you can start sitting with your feelings, even if you don't have anyone to talk to, open up your voice note app, talk to yourself, listen to yourself and just rant 
go off, like go off and be like, I am feeling unloved. I'm like, da, da, da. So-and-so is pissing me off. Sit on it, listen to it the next day and have a journal out and be like, notice if everything you're saying, is everything I'm saying true? Is it really true? I love to dance sometimes, just put on music. Sometimes I record myself, even if it's obnoxiously weird. One of my favorite movies is a, and that's what cued me to remember this. Have you ever seen Garden State? I haven't, and I need to watch it. It's a weird dance move, and she goes like, I've never, no one's ever done this dance move ever before. So you feel original in that moment. So sometimes I just put on music by myself, and I just let my body go. And I just feel like when you do movement, Mm -hmm. you release like, release this like pain, whatever the song is. And like, there's science behind that. You know, have you heard of shamanic shaking? Like, have you heard of that concept? Is that the same thing as tapping? Like tapping parts? I am sure that there is, I know that there's like tapping things that you can do to like for trauma release. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've actually tried tapping and I found it to be beneficial. I was never consistent enough with it, but shamanic shaking is the same type of thing because in somatic experiencing, right? Or if you read things like uh, The Body Keeps the Score by Bessel van der Kolk, have you read um, that book before? You would really, really like it. Um, The Body Keeps the Score. And it's all about trauma and how trauma is stored in the body. And the idea behind shamanic shaking is you put on like some drum beats, like some type of like anything that gets you, and even it can just be any music that you like, but it's like, just fucking shake it out. Like shake your body, dance. And it's the same thing that you're doing. You just dance around. It doesn't matter if it looks stupid. It doesn't matter. No one's seeing you, but really you are releasing feelings in that moment. And that's the whole thing. Like, and sometimes when you watch back, Ironically enough, it's actually some of the most beautiful moments because you're like, and the whole point is the non-judgment. Remember earlier, we were talking about those moments where you fear, like letting yourself go. That's the thing with drag race is that those are the moments when they're lip syncing them. They have to, the people who are truly vulnerable, they let themselves go. And I think that that's the whole thing with anything that you do, you have to feel it. And I think that that's where I'm trying to get in my life okay, we talk about healing and recovery and like feeling and self-care and self-compassion. At the end of the day, to truly connect to yourself, you have to connect. And that's the word connect. And it's so hard for people to connect because they're like, but I I, I don't know how, what do I do? And that's a thing, you have to feel it. And I think that that's, whether it's music, just self-soothing, putting on a candle, sitting in a bath, like these things sound cliche, but the truth is, they sometimes at that moment are the thing that you need to just simply connect. And I always say to people, put your phone away Yeah, because it sounds weird, but if your phone is your only thing, like you need your phone to watch TV or you need your phone to listen to the music, fine. But I find that things that are like taking you away from you, that's going to like stink the connection. And I find like, for me, when I lose the most connection with myself, it's when other things are there. And I know that's funny because we can find connection from community, but you Mm -hmm. first connect in and then connect out. So I don't know what it is that will connect you to you, but it's personal. And you have to try lots of things. Try to the listeners, try reading, buying an actual paperback book of buy a life worth living and put your phone away, go outside and read. I have been buying actual books rather than the Kindle versions lately, just so that I can actually just put my phone away and go read. Reading for me ever since I've been little, I talked about being a Harry Potter nerd, but before Harry Potter, I was the kid that enrolled in a reading competition at the library. And I read like 60 books one summer, right? Because your friend, I'm sorry. Like I'm just like you right now. I just I wish I was your friend back in the day. It's last so happy. I know, and I but I'm sure like so many of us. I wish so many of us would have been friends because we could have saved ourselves from this bullshit when we were growing up. But what hap? What I did and what I recommend for everyone to do that's listening to the podcast is. If you're right at the beginning of your recovery and you just don't even know where to start, one thing that was helpful for me was a lot of inner child work. And inner child work has to do with sitting down and thinking, what brought you joy when you were young? Can you remember anything that brought you joy before the world started telling you what you should want to do? 
because what I love to do was read. So now I read, I read and it heals me. I love reading the perspectives of, I didn't have perfect parents. No one had perfect parents, but I've gotten other parenting advice from the people that I find to be motivational speakers, motivational authors. So I'm like building myself a new identity and personality based on what's what resonates with me through books. So I'm going back to this, what did you like doing when you were little? Did you love going camping? Did you like reading? Did you like taking your dog on a walk? Did you love drawing pictures? Do it. Clothes and change, like we love change, creative stuff, like yeah, doing colors and going on walks and smelling the flowers and building and decorating. Like- yes, and people don't have to see you doing these things. That's another thing. It's like if it's it's like if a tree falls in the rainforest, did it make a sound? If you do something that's not on Instagram, did it even really happen? Yeah. Stop fucking documenting everything you do on Instagram. Stop it. Just stop right now. If you have BPD, social media for me was the most toxic thing. I can only have a healthy relationship with social media now that I have a BPD account. But anything that I did with Molly, every time I was like, why the fuck am I posting a picture of my breakfast? Why the fuck am I posting? Why do I am I on a walk and I feel like I have to, to say that I'm on a walk? It takes you away from the actual experiencing of the thing. That's why – and you ding-donged again. So – I take full three days away. Like a you week. do do that. I see you on Instagram. You even announce it. And not everyone has to announce this, by the way, yeah. but Melanie literally has like 65,000 followers on Instagram. So when you go off, she makes a story and she says, hey guys, I'm off social media for three days. Deuces. And I think that that is really good. Yeah. I, I'm like – what you said, Molly, with the, the breakfast, uh, with my dog, with my, you know, shelf, I'm selling my shelf. And I'm like, because I didn't, I'm like, we're talking about integrative. It's me. Hi, I'm here. But then I started noticing I'm pulling away even more and I'm feeling better posting less, doing more. And I'm going to try doing that even more, even like, as I'm moving towards being my own life and helping people or whether it's like, I'm only posting when it's something I really want to announce or someone I want to announce or things I want to announce. And if it has to do with like a few days off a week, I'm trying to extend that even more so that when I'm posting on those days, I notice like it's even heavy on those days and it might be even too heavy, but it's the fact you're correct. And whether this is a BPD thing, whether this is trying to reach out or community oriented and there's people that I've missed out talking to and I'm just there I try to keep it mindful of the mental health, but that's exactly it. And the, this has been integral to my mental health these days off. And I get so much done and I feel alive. And so, yes. you know, whether it's in the future, like you said, just for the BPD accounts, cause that's going to happen for me with the center and whatever, but that's like really important to be aware of this. And anyone that's listening, that's struggling with stepping away. Cause I've talked to many people who struggle with social media before you have to understand that social media does not equal real life. And when you understand that the equal sign, so make it does not equal. Yeah. You'll, you'll love what equal, what happens in real life. The general person doesn't understand what a parasocial relationship is what a parasocial relationship is for people that are listening. It's the relationship you have with your favorite YouTuber, with the people even that you went to high school with and you haven't seen for 15 years, but you still follow them on social media. You are nothing but a tiny little circle with a picture for that person. While you are taking 15 minutes to figure out what your best angle on your ass is for your next picture, um, (laughs) which – by the way, speaking from experience, have done this, so I'm not shading anybody. When you are doing that or you are taking even two minutes to find out what's the best lighting on my omelet that I'm going to put on Instagram, no one gives a shit. No one that is on Instagram is giving a shit about that. They're scrolling past and they're waiting to get the the 15 minutes of the angle on best angle on their own ass. And it's just this echo chamber 
no one really giving a fuck but what they what but what likes they get on their own picture. So when you actually zoom out and think about that, I was like why am I doing this? Whenever I post this, people are just scrolling past unless it's like my aunt and you know like she's probably not double tapping on my ass, but she's definitely being like, "Oh, yummy omelet. What did I get from that interaction?" Nothing. Think about it. What are you getting? That's why my BPD account is great. I make a post and I'm like, oh my God, I get all these comments that people are like, this helped me. They're saving it. They're maybe adding it into their their daily routine if it resonates for them. It's not validation for me, but I'm like, okay, I like that I did that. A, it's getting the message in my head more. But if you're just putting a picture up of your omelet, was that a good waste, a use of your time? Probably not. No, and I, I <laughs> 100%. I've seen a lot of people, including myself in the past, put a lot of energy and get upset with the energy they didn't get back from their posts, the likes, the comments. And at the end of the day, that isn't important in real life. What are you doing in real life? And what you said was the important piece, the people that it resonated with. Yes. The educational aspect they got, the human aspect they got, the posts that I make now. All I want, and like you, is that someone is taking something from it. And it used to be not about that years ago. And it was, I need love. I need likes. I need comments. I need a hug. I need a guy to tap this ass, like the picture of my butt. Yeah. Or putting a picture of yourself getting the right filter and being like, oh, "Oh, yeah. Mm -mm." And then you get the perfect little boomerang of your hot ass face. And I used to just wait for the replies I would get from guys on that. And they'd be like, oh, you look hot. You look hot. And I'm like, oh. Or if you don't get any replies, it's like you're kind of looking back and then go and delete it. You know, this can be fine. Social media can be fine. But I feel like it's important that we look at social media through the lens of those of us with BPD. Is it healthy for you, person, listener with BPD, to be putting so much emphasis on social media? If you can handle it, is what I always say to people. So there are people that put stuff up, and whether they have BPD, mental health issues, anything, and they give zero fucks. They put it up, they think they're awesome, and they love the filters, they love it all, and they don't care. They're just putting it up. Totally. But if you you struggle. And the reason you're putting it up is because you're seeking validation. You need to know your why. And this is why I do the things I do now. If I'm putting up a photo and I think I'm awesome and I have confidence, that's why I think power with other women and having power, like I love certain women. I'm like, you're powerful. Put it out, rocket sister. However, if I notice why they're putting it out and it's for the wrong reason, I ain't like rocket sister. I'm like, are you okay, sister? So same. And I don't, and I think that people are very quick to say, are you sex shaming? Are you being, you know, sex negative? I can't tell you how many people follow my Instagram that are sex workers because it's very obvious from their Instagram accounts. I look at every single person's profile that follows me if it's public. And so literally every single one. I, if, if my following gets bigger, I'm sure that I won't be able to do that. But I am like a scientist. I look at every single profile and what I see overwhelmingly is so many sex workers. And what I think I can gather is there's like a lot of OnlyFans girls that are like, and they are clearly advertising that. And as someone who used to be involved in sex work myself, I think I can speak to the fact that if you have BPD, that is not being treated by your own personal recovery method or you should not be in in sex work if you can help it because it is so damaging even to a neurotypical person. Someone taking part in sex work with raging BPD is so supremely damaging to you. It's, I mean, because we are, you know, we have this strong fear of abandonment. A lot of people that struggle with BPD, we are yearning constantly for validation and love. I mean, I spoke earlier, I was in love addiction, my constant need for love, my constant from everywhere and my addiction to just being in love, my addiction to codependency and men. This is, you're right. This area is so hard to kind of just quickly grasp 
grapple over and quickly just be like, okay, this is the way it is. So when you're working in that area, you know, it's, this is tricky. You know, we're talking about an area that could be unsafe, an area that comes with a lot of, you know, is unsafe. It's like, statistically, I just can say this. There's so many people like girls attack people. Sex workers are real quick to attack people and say like, you're sex shaming me. You're kink shaming me. But why I love talking shit on things like OnlyFans is because I can actually fucking talk about it because I can speak from a place of experience. The people, the amount of friends that I have that are OnlyFans workers, sex workers, um, sugar babies that work at strip clubs. I have all friends that work in all these industries. I have worked in some of these industries and you will see you are exposed to some of the most mentally unwell men in those industries and interacting with those men and with, and not being traumatized by that, you would have to be the most individuated whole human being, healthy person. And there are bitches out there like that. There are dominatrixes out there that are like the most probably psychologically sound human beings that like they know about the human psyche. And these are the sex workers that aren't talked about enough, right? There are sex workers who are basically therapists that know about trauma and all of this stuff. But girls out there that are following me, uh-uh, those are not those girls. These are girls that are out there going, if the world's going to treat me like shit, I'm going to take these guys money, right? right? That was my, and I'm saying that because that was my mentality and it fucked and, me up. And this is what I was saying earlier with the Joker. If the system screws me, I'm going to screw the system. However, yep. if we all have this type of victim mentality and I'm not saying that it's easy and life is easy. And I'm not talking about OnlyFans. I'm talking about this mentality of we live in a world where, of course, there are bad people. Yep. You know, I, we can't control the fact that uh, bad things happen, genocides happen, bad bad leaders happen, COVID mm-hmm. happen. We cannot control. And there people. are bad men out there, right? Men, but they're also... I have to say something. There are bad women. There are bad women. There are good men. There are good women. There are good. It's like, but if you're putting yourself in an environment like OnlyFans, you're creating that echo chamber for yourself because you're like, fuck men. I've been treated like shit. I'm going to take advantage of them. So what? I'm going to put myself in an environment where there's statistically a really highly concentrated amount of shitty men to prove my worldview true. Right. So there are people who grow up in bad environments, of course, but they have to fight against these environments and say, I don't want, I want to be bigger than my environment, better than my environment. And yes, it is so hard. But like we said, life is hard. Making money is hard. Having no money is hard. Going to school is hard. Having BPD is hard. Am I going to get mad at men? Am I going to get mad at the world? I'm going to get mad at COVID. I'm either going to do that the system screws me, so I'm going to screw the system and I'm going to, you know, do bad things or system screws me, I'm going to rise against. So this is kind of why I look up to people like Marsha Linehan, because she said, look, I was always feeling this way. I was never understood. Doctors didn't understand me. People misdiagnosed me. People stigmatized me. The world stigmatized me. The world continues to stigmatize me, but I'm going to create the greatest, so-called greatest system and approach to mental health for people suffering with what we suffer with. And I'm going to say, fuck you system. And I'm going to be greater than it. And that's kind of what we are saying to the people listening. You know what I mean? Yes. Is stop waiting for someone to save you. A is the takeaway. The second takeaway is contrary to what you've convinced yourself to believe The world is not a scary, bad place full of people that just want to fuck up your day. That's actually just not, that is objectively not true. So you have to throw that belief out. And then I feel like the third takeaway is own your fucking recovery. Stop trying to Google things and use that as a prescription for you. Filter the stuff that you're seeing what works for you. Try a million different things like a scientist. You have to be a scientist with your own recovery. Try what Mel says. Record something on your voice note. Draw a tarot card or don't. 
or to get it, go to fucking office max and buy a really pretty journal and make a thing of it. Make a thing and buy a journal that calls to you and start journaling every day. Go on a walk every day, but whatever you do, find something and continue repeating it. One, two, three, what you said, perfect. And the groundbreaking work here is whatever works for you works for you. Yes. Don't. But you can't expect anything to happen without doing any work. Yes, do the work. And whatever works for you works for you. Stop relying and waiting on other people to be giving you this magic marker. Yep. Life doesn't give you some magic marker. However, once you take that first step, just take the first step. It yes. will happen. Yes. That's the thing I can promise people. I always promise people this. Even listening to your podcast is a first step. Like that's literally a first step. I always mm-hmm. say to people, take one step. Yes. I always say, remember the catch 22, you're depressed, move your body. And they're like, I don't want to move my body. Just move your body. Yeah. It's so the things that hold us down are the things that we need to do. I feel like everyone with BPD has their aha moment where they go, a light switch switches on and you go, oh fuck, I'm the problem. And it's, but it's a good realization. I feel like we have two realizations with BPD is like, we are diagnosed and we think I'm the problem. We still have that. And we're like, it's sad. And then you have your second epiphany. That's like, I'm the problem. And it's good because I can fucking fix my behaviors. It's all in my control. It's me. I can fix these things slowly, but surely there's nothing wrong with me intrinsically, but behaviors that I am repeating are keeping me stuck. And as soon as you have that aha moment, it's the first five steps. What's the first step of AA and NA? You Admitting you have a problem. And what's the first skill we learn? Basically, the first skill that helped me in DBT, and we learn mindfulness, the module first, but the first real skill is acceptance. And if you cannot radically accept anything, and people will fight this until the... the They'll fight this. Like everyone I know with BBD, I'm just going to keep fighting. And I'll go, if you just let it be. And they're like, but I can. I'm like, just accept it. But I can't. It's literally surrendering and accepting and admitting everything is the way it is, but you don't have to change it. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily good. It's just accepting it for what it is. Letting it be for that moment in time. You don't have to, you know, try to change it, make it better, find a solution. It's like I said, when you're communicating with someone, just meet them, accept it. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's exactly admitting it, accepting it and admitting it. And it's like, that's your aha. Yes. Some people take them six years. It takes them 10 minutes, takes them a year, but it doesn't necessarily mean, okay, you're recovered now. It just means you admitted it and you're like, okay, I'm here. Not only do I have a lot of listeners who have BPD or think they have BPD, I get an overwhelming amount of messages from someone who has a child with BPD or primarily the messages I get are someone who has a romantic partner with BPD. So I'd love to just give you the floor briefly to talk about what advice you have for loved ones of individuals with BPD. This is a very deep question because like, sure, I love, love the video you made. So I think that's a great video in general too, because you can see a relationship right in front of you. Are you talking about the live session I did with Zaz? Because some of the listeners don't follow me on Instagram. So for those of you uh, that don't follow me, my Instagram is at BPDT. And I did a live Instagram video session with my boyfriend Zaz, where we just went live on Instagram and we had a bunch of questions that the listeners had given us and we just talked about them and you can watch that on my Instagram, but go ahead, Melanie. I just wanted to give them clarification. That's great. And I think what was really important about what you did is exactly that you talked about all the things that people struggle with that are so like in your face. Look, it is not easy. And when I said in the beginning, should I tell my partner I have BPD? A lot of people messaged me in the beginning, like starting to date. And should I date this person? Should I tell this person? I always personally suggest that you do, because no matter what, if you're just getting diagnosed, if you haven't been diagnosed, if you are diagnosed, 
this isn't something that you can just go and ignore. You're not going to put a bandaid over it and just be like, okay, I'm just going to run to the bathroom, cry for five minutes and be, see you in five, like I'll come back to dinner. And every person that comes to me with these like stories and like, I don't understand. He left for the night this evening for six hours and I wrote him six times. He's not responding. If you're able to allow someone into your world and explain even what you have and they run away, do you hear that? They run away in the beginning. There's your material right there to listen to because I understand it's really scary to let someone in and tell them what you have. But if they can't even understand at that level with you about something, there's something within themselves that they're not confident in. There's Agreed. something within them that they're not strong with. And that's not someone I would even suggest you to be with. You want a partner. And I'm telling you, people with BPD need a partner and they need support. And, the support and you need support. a good partner because there's the difference. When you have BPD, you can either be helped so much by a healthy relationship or you can be completely your progress can be completely derailed by the the wrong relationship but having the right relationship and this is since we're speaking to people that are partners and loved ones of those with BPD I think everyone should take a look and say, what's the part I have in the dysfunction? If you are a partner of someone with BPD and you're listening to this podcast, there's probably an aspect of you that that Googled BPD that's like, how can I fix my fucked up loved one, right? Probably a part of you, probably a part of you feels like they need to be fixed too, I'm not saying that you think that that's the case, but I know when my mom first found out that I had BPD, what did she do? She bought like a book and I'm sure a part of her is like, and my mom will check on my progress. How's your therapy going? Because I feel like when you, when you don't have BPD, you're kind of like going, when are they going to be fixed? So don't fall into that either as a loved one, right? Of like, when is it over? When are they going to be like they were when I first met them? So this was a really hard thing. For Spoiler, alert, never. Spoiler alert. Never. Never. Uh, when I first met Steve, I didn't show all of me for the first month or two. I was like really happy. I don't know if it was the mania first falling in love. And then dun, 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 things started popping out like a zit. And you know what? It didn't mean that he stopped falling. He wasn't in love with me anymore. It just meant that things changed. It wasn't the honeymoon phase anymore. However, once again, like I said before, if this person isn't willing to love you at the worst, and look, we just did COVID together. So I'm telling you, it's the worst. This person's not willing to love you at every part, literally then they're not willing to go through stuff with you. So why are you willing to even yep. try? I feel like something that loved ones of people with BPD, when I go on the BPD loved ones subreddit, sometimes I, and the messages I get to are, you know, how can I make them prioritize their recovery? How can I, yo, if you are in a relationship with someone with BPD, they have to want to recover on their own. You cannot make someone want to recover. It can actually be worse if you're bringing them like an article like, hey, I think you might have BPD, right? You have to, as a person who loves someone with BPD, I feel like you, I have a lot of people that message me that need to get real with themselves. It's like, are you in a relationship with an abusive human being that just is never going to change? And never going to prioritize their recovery and you're listening to my podcast trying to figure out how you can adjust your own behavior to better move with the BPD waves, that's when I get protective about the, those those partners of people with BPD because I'm like, look, BPD is on a spectrum just like everything else. And if you're with someone who has BPD and they are at the worst of it and they are verbally abusing you, physically abusing you, abusing substances, and you're sitting there going, if I listen to this podcast and play it for them, maybe that will help. To what extent are you being a fixer? Right, exactly. And also, no one likes pressure. So if you're, this is the other thing. 
I'm BPD. I'm Mel in your Molly and you're pushing. You're like, my boyfriend's not doing enough. I'm going to push books. I'm going to mm-hmm. push this podcast on him. Mm-hmm. I'm going to push every week. We need to work on splitting. We need to work on grounding techniques together. He needs to do this because he's not giving me this. Okay, bitch, like relax. Because the truth is not only do people not love to be pushed, patient sister, yes. someone has to meet you. So I learned even in my own relationship, regardless of BPD or not, no one likes to be pushed. Consistency, patience, understanding, value. You should not as well be the only one pushing these things. No. I notice as well, everyone has a different language. For example, in your relationship, for example, with mine, Steve is not great with books. Sometimes things go in one ear. Zaz won't read. Zaz won't read shit. Yeah, like it's really hard for me. He's read, (laughs) I hate you, don't leave. He's read seven books, but it's not his way of communicating and understanding. However, he's really great with, I'm able to say things simply, kiss, keep it simple, stupid. So some people in, in some relationships, once again, individualize, learn your partner, but also this shoving shit on Steve has never been good for even our, just our relationship in general. Mm-hmm. So people ask me, they're like, my boyfriend's not doing this and this, and this person, he doesn't love me. And, da, da, da. and I'm like, you know what? The end of the day, are you even listening to what he needs? Mm-hmm. Are you even listening to what they want? Because mm-hmm. I noticed the narcissistic behavior within me, part of my BPD and part of my narcissistic behavior, it was all becoming about me and not yep. the actual relationship. Yep. It's true. And I think that everyone listening to this, whether you're someone with BPD or whether you are a loved one of someone with BPD, check your own intentions. And I think the reason why I create my page mainly for people with BPD, I'm so happy that loved ones find it beneficial. The reason why I direct all my content to people that actually have BPD or think that they have BPD tendencies is because Change doesn't happen, man, unless the person who is struggling can admit to themselves that they're having it. If you are a person who just thinks your partner might have BPD and you're voraciously listening to my podcast, like I have news for you. There's not much that's going to happen unless your partner actually goes and gets evaluated or thinks that they actually have the disorder because there's something wrong there if you're self-diagnosing your partner and then you're going and uh, reading about all this information to help them, maybe you should turn that on yourself. Better yourself. If you're with someone who their mental illness and their mental state is creating such havoc in your life and you're going out and doing all the research on their behalf and they haven't done anything, doesn't matter what your partner's struggling with, whether that's narcissistic personality disorder, BPD, or just depression. If you have a depressed partner, you're not going to get anywhere by spending all of your time trying to what? Save the person. A lot of people are out here being Captain Save-A-Ho when that doesn't help. So I guess my advice for someone with that's a partner of with BPD that is a loved one of someone with BPD is you can't research your loved one's way into recovery. They have to want it for themselves. And secondly, that's great. What about each other checking in with each other? I think it's become this thing where how can I help my partner with BPD because my partner is such an illness? In such a stigma, you know what relationships are? They're two way. Yeah. So what about the partner? Why is it only about the girl and the guy with BPD? What yep. about your partner? Also, that's – oh, I love that. You just made me think of what Kabir said. He's talking about tone policing. And I think that's something – have you ever heard of that? Because I hadn't heard of it. Well, we, we Is tone policing having to do with the fact that we react so much to people's tones and facial expressions? It's yeah. actually it's actually the opposite. How Kabir described it was when, for example, his father, Kabir will be describing something. His dad will be like, whoa, 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 like calm down, calm down. That is so triggering for someone with BPD. We are just passionate people. And I need to be able to just express myself and, 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 
and let that just be. And I think if you are a partner of someone with BPD, what Melanie is saying is so important where sit down and talk about this when you guys are in an emotionally regulated space and ask your partner with BPD, is there anything I can do? I've noticed that when we get into an argument or whatever, you get really aggravated and you start yelling at me or whatever it is that you think your BPD person does. Is there anything I can do to support you? Is there anything that I do in your perspective that triggers you to do that? Start the dialogue when you're not in a fight so that maybe you can start planning on now Zaz and I game plan on how we're going to tackle fights before they happen. And the third step, how are you doing? Just not even anything to do with the BPD because yeah, much of our BPD is part of the relationship and how much is just having a relationship because you'll notice the tone we're talking about tone is so much the BPD. And then it kind of starts seeping away and making, I'm sorry to say the relationship a little bit, not lighter, but different. The yep. I noticed in the last eight months, I stopped asking Steve how he was doing, what he needed, how he was feeling. And when you just start checking in, even with a guy and a man, how yep. he's doing, he'll start being like, the validating starts coming in like tenfold. Oh, how you doing? What can I do for you? It's just weird because we don't notice these things as much as we should because we're, we get so emotionally bogged we down. Do. And our relationship can come become all about the BPD. Yes. I think you pointing yeah. out... You pointing out the fact that, I mean, I can't tell you, sometimes I really do feel like Zaz and I's relationship is just the Molly's recovering from BPD show. And I think if you're in a relationship where you're the person with BPD and that's the case, the entire theme of your relationship is like your BPD and getting better. Think about how your partner must feel. Ask them when you're feeling emotionally regulated Talk to them and say, how are you doing today? How are you feeling? And also, Zaz has started opening up to me about his feelings. And he has said to me, now that I'm further along in my recovery, he's like, Molly, sometimes I just didn't tell you how I felt because I was really scared of what your reaction would be. And you know what? That piece right there, you know what that does? It lets you know, I'm not great with books, Molly, but I want to try. I know yep. how hard it is. Molly, but I'm here. And you know what that does for you? It allows your relationship to what? Grow. And this was, those were the times with Steve and is the times right now, especially during COVID because we went through the hardest times I've ever been through in my relationship where I honestly, we almost like broke up at times because I was like, fuck this. It's better. I just let him go because I'm a monster. And instead of working through it, I was like, I don't want him to see me like this anymore. He deserves better. But he was like, if you say that one more time, I'm going to cry again because I want to be here, Mel. So those times- Those are ways we push people away. And we we don't, we forget in those moments that relationships are work. When they're work, I feel like the BPD in us is going, something must be wrong here. It's not easy. You know, like he doesn't love me. And I connect with you so deeply because when you say things like that to your partner, I've said stuff like that to Zaz so often where it's like, just leave. You just yeah. leave. It'd be so much easier. You could go be easy. with someone that's, it's just easy. But they, they, and he says to me, no, because if I went to, with someone else, it's going to be a whole nother set of problems. I've been with other girls. He's like, before I was with a girl who would like, wanted to have sex every single day of the week. And I felt like freaking, like it was awkward for me. So it's just, and, or, or he was with a girl that never talked about her feelings. Right. And he's like, and I felt like I was pulling them out. Now I have more feelings than I know what to do with. <laughs> you know what Steve always says? Why would I go be with someone else? I've got 19 girlfriends with you. And I'm like, <laughs> like you know what? The truth is it's true. And I'm yes. like, you know, never boring. And I'm like, so as much as like we will, push and push away but those are the moments and that's what I'm saying like funny enough sometimes you like are like hesitant to be like those three steps but that last step it's so crucial to just checking in with the other person because normally they're there with you and they feel it and they're scared 
And sometimes they ain't saying anything and you want them to say something, but they don't want to trigger you. But when they trigger you, it's worse, but they want to be there and it sucks, but you get so much information and they do like your relationship that work and you saying something, you got it. You do. And it's attractive to a man or a person. This is whatever relationship you're in, whatever, uh, however you identify, whatever your sexuality is. It's attractive to be with someone who's working on themselves and who can, knows the the things that they have to work on, knows what they're working towards. That's really healthy and attractive. And if you are approaching your mental illness, like, and you're telling, you're unloading, it's like you, t- you said to me the other day when someone's pooping all over you, pooping all their stuff all over you, you know the difference uh, between someone who is just unloading all their stuff onto you and it's like, oh God, that was an overshare. Now what do I do with this? There's a difference between telling someone that you struggle with BPD and what you're struggling with and saying it like, I know. I'm aware these are things I'm working on. I'm doing X, Y, Z to work on them. What things are you working on about yourself? Because everyone should be able to come back to you and say something like that. And if they don't, it's like you said before in your example that you gave, like you should probably run for the hills. But if you tell someone, oh, hi, I'm Molly. This is our first date. I have borderline personality disorder. I'd like to have probably two kids by the age of 34 because then I won't be that old of a mom. And then then people are like, whoa whoa, bitch. And I used to definitely do that. I used to approach it like I'm going to put all my crap out on the table. And if you're scared of it and you run away, then so be it. Mm, I think that there's like a, there's like a middle road with that. It's like put out what you're working on, but present yourself as someone who is keenly aware of things that they have to work on and be able to state what you're doing to work on those things. And it's funny, like you, we talk about these things, even romantic relationships, Normally the times where we're teeter-tottering in our own lives, even when we're looking outside of ourselves and like doing things like comparing or feeling unsure of ourselves or we're bored, it's when we're not working on the things that we want to mm-hmm. and like not doing those things that you're saying and we're spilling it all out and we're kind of hesitant here. And the truth is, is that we're relying too much on other people to give us those happiness. So we're relying on relying on outside validation. Look, we do need validation. We do need encouragement. This is something that we love. And I'm sorry to say it with BPD. We just need a little bit extra sometimes because we beat ourselves Mm -hmm. up so much. That's okay. What's not okay is not also pushing yourself a bit and getting to the point where you're so complacent that you're not doing anything. And when you get into those willful, unmotivated places, it can get really dark and then you can get comfortable and comfortable and comfortable and then it becomes cyclical and that's yep. the thing get the fuck out of it how do you get the fuck out of it you just do and yep. you gotta keep yourself in those moments you said you don't want it you just do sometimes you don't want it and you just do and you continue to just do eventually you feel it and it keeps going and that's the and key. you will feel it. You will. You start to like realize after you start taking these little steps and you become you shed the victim shit and you start doing little things day by day. That's when you start getting people messaging you or I will be on a call with my boss and my boss said, "Wow, you seem you seem really good." Or my mom is like they came and visited not too long ago and my parents said, "You seem like you're doing so well." You start getting little comments from people, friends that know you. And that's, in my opinion, what recovery looks like is people will start saying to you, like, they can't quite put their finger on it, but it seems like you have just a sense of inner peace. And, and it comes, yeah. doesn't it? But, but the thing is, that is what the goal should be, is finding a few more moments of inner peace, becoming accountable and forgetting a finish line. Like forget any type of idea of any type of recovery cured finish line because it doesn't exist for anyone on earth. And another thing, write these things out. There's no finish line. There's no timeline. There's no have tos. If you have a fucking bad day, that's okay. Mm-hmm. If you feel like, feel like shit, that's okay. Yes. Be kind to mind because the truth is what happens is we have hiccups. 
we have bad moments. We have bad hours. We have bad days. I said that in another thing uh, a year ago on my very first, I've been on one other podcast earlier. And, but the one thing I said was we have bad hours. Does that mean we have to have bad weeks and bad days and bad months and beat ourselves up? It's like, we don't have to be that all the time. We're no. allowed to keep moving forward, but you have to take that first step. Absolutely. And that's the thing. I think that's the thing to concentrate on. And we got to keep going. Your body wants to keep going, even when it doesn't. Moving. I love that. And I think this is a good note for us to wrap on because listeners, we have been on this Zoom call that we're recording for almost three hours. I just could talk to you for so, I could just talk to you for ages. Um, What I would love to leave the listeners with is give you the opportunity to tell them where they can find you on social media, um, what's next in the world of Mel, what are some things you'd, final thoughts you'd like to leave us on? So you can find me at, I have a couple social media, but the one platform that we talk mostly on is Mind Over Melanie. In the future, I'm currently in my master's studying to be a psychotherapist, like I said. And my dream and goal with no timeline is to own my own center um, in Canada and maybe one more, we don't know yet where, um, which will be a center to help people with BPD, where it will be kind of integrative approaches with DVT and other stuff. My dream dream is to have most of the therapists be uh, or have struggled with DPD because I want it to be you know, a foundation and a center and come from people who have experienced BPD. Well, that's the whole thing. I just want people to understand the human, human aspect of it. Well, we'll wrap it here, but thanks so much for being on the podcast, Melanie. You're the best ever, seriously. All right, you messy, amazing, emotional, fabulous human beings doing this life thing. That is it for today's episode. I want to thank you so much for listening because out of all the millions, billions of podcasts in the world, you chose to listen to mine and that means a lot to me. And if you listen this far, I know you never want to miss a new episode. So to make sure that doesn't happen, click follow in your podcast player of choice and you will be alerted every time I drop a new one. To help me grow and help the podcast reach as many people as possible, go ahead and leave an honest rating and review. Not only that, I love to hear your feedback, so please share it with me. I read every single review, and you just might hear it read out loud on the podcast. To connect with me directly, follow me on social media and keep up with all the new updates. You can find that all at backfromtheborderline.com. And as always, any articles, resources, or other helpful information you've heard today can be found in the description of this podcast episode. So don't forget to check out the show notes. And until we meet again, remember, life is a circle, a cycle, a process, separation, initiation, return. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Back from the Borderline. If you'd like to receive my monthly written recovery musings via Substack directly to your inbox, send me a voicemail, join the Patreon community, or check out my Amazon booklist recommendations, visit backfromtheborderline.com and click to access my link tree.